I got so shook up I forgot to introduce our speaker. Um, Brother Zach Watson, his wife Julie and Amelia, uh, it's been good to have them with us today. And Brother Zach's going to come and preach to us. But I want to just let you know before he comes that the offering we just received was uh, for our, our general uh, offering. But we will receive a love offering from Brother Zach for his family tonight after service. I know maybe you didn't come prepared to give. Um, you can put a check in that, make it out to the church. You can put in the memo line his name or for revival or love offering or something like that. Um, but we want to be a blessing to him because he's traveled a long way to be with us and he's blessed us by sharing the word. It's been good to have his family with us. So, Brother Zach, you come and the service is yours and you mind the Lord, man. I hope you will let me know when your choir cuts a CD. <laughs> I could take that home with me. Amen. Amen. Turn with me again into the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4. And as you're turning again, let me say how honestly overwhelmed I am with your hospitality your kindness, the warmth of this church. I have expressed this to several of you already today. Um, by God's grace, He has allowed us to travel a good bit after we uh, left the pastorate uh, a couple of months ago. And we've traveled uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years. I say that, that it is by God's grace. We've been in a lot of places. But I can assure you, that there are very few places, if any at all, like Sharon Heights Baptist Church. And I say that not because I'm standing here before you. But I can assure you I will be saying that when you all are not around. It has been a blessing today and a joy. And um, from, the, from the hotel stay to, you know, being blessed to hang out with your pastor, my friend... And his family, I'm just thankful. And I wanted to take a few moments just to share that with you. Let's stand our feet tonight to reverence the reading of the Word of God again, those who are willing and able. I want us to begin our reading this evening in, in, in probably the most familiar passage um, of the fourth chapter for sure, but maybe in the whole Gospel of Mark. Let's begin in verse number 35. The Bible reads, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? 
How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Lord, again, as we approach your throne, Lord, not in our righteousness, but uh, Lord, by the imputed righteousness of Christ upon our account, we have heard in thrilling fashion your gospel tonight in song. And may we echo the words of the songwriter. We've come, even on this evening, to remind your people that You've come and that you're alive. Lord, we pray that you would guide us through this text once again. Lord, may you illuminate our mind. May our hearts be receptive to what you have to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how would you respond when the thing you dreaded most becomes reality? I ask this question because most of us have something in mind that we connect that question with. Maybe it's the man crying out to the Lord because he is out of work and the pressure is building on his family. He's asking God for decisive action and abundant provision, but days turn to months. With small provisions, maybe here or there, but still without a job. Maybe it's the crying woman who's crying out to the Lord because her marriage is a mess and her child or children are estranged. She's asking the Lord, for decisive action and some type of immediate breakthrough. But again, days turn into months. Only with a sliver of kindness here and maybe a ray of hope there. But still living in a life that's filled with dysfunction. What about the family? The family tonight that's crying out to the Lord in prayer. You see, they're experiencing sickness within their members. One of the family members is now fallen ill and is in pain. Because they hurt as well, they are crying out to the Lord, asking for decisive action, indefinite healing. But again, days turn to months. And yes, there's small improvements here and there, and maybe there's this occasional hopeful moment, but when they peer into the eyes of that family member, he or she is still sick and in much pain. What about that pastor tonight? You see, all across our nation and even all across our world, there are ministers that will fall to their knees on Sunday evenings and they will cry out to the Lord in prayer because it just seems as though in this moment my work is, is in vain. So we ask the Lord for decisive action and abundant fruit. The salvation of souls and changed lives, but days 
turn into months. And there's little encouragement. Maybe a rewarding moment or two, but the church just isn't meeting his expectations. I want us to hear and see and think about not only problems we have, but the problems faced by others. And there's small, almost invisible answers to prayer that, that, that seem to make people wonder, especially in our generation, can God really do a decisive miracle? Does He have the power to, to, to break into history and intervene on our behalf? Or are these small, gradual answers all that the Lord has to offer to us? Maybe God is doing the best that He can. Maybe we are expecting too much. Or, or maybe God in the 21st century just doesn't have it in Him. Mm. When reading through the Gospel of Mark, I can't help but wonder, as we stated this morning, if thoughts like, these and others entered the minds of the disciples when they were listening to Jesus' parables. They had seen Jesus do some very impressive miracles. They had seen Him heal. They had seen Him cast out demons. They had seen Him teach and preach with authority. And so, one would imagine that they must have had rather lofty expectations regarding what this man called Jesus could accomplish. But as you walk through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that the Gospel of Mark is filled with many roadblocks. You'll be acquainted with rejection and opposition and accusation. And certainly, they thought to themselves, why doesn't Jesus just convince them? Why doesn't He just overwhelm them with His power to, to argue? Why doesn't He just simply win them over? He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We've seen Him do so many things. Why isn't He doing this? Well, in wake of this rejection and opposition and accusation, as we stated this morning, to really confuse the disciples, He began His parabolic ministry. And He declares that the kingdom of God, it goes forth, but it goes forth with... Mixed reactions, for there's downright rejection. Many will fall away. He declares that the kingdom will be hidden for a season and that it will eventually be revealed, but, but it's hidden nonetheless. Jesus explains that the growth of the kingdom will be slow. It will be inevitable and eventually big, but gradual. And, and it will call for patience and perseverance and, and diligence and, and faith. And yet at the end of all of this mysterious teaching, about the kingdom. Jesus now. And I hope you see. He's physically. Worn out. He's tired. And is in need of rest. And so I want us to notice. This evening. The fierceness. Of the storm. You see it was at the end of the day. After he had been teaching the crowds in parables, the text tells us in verse number 35, He saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. 
And so they left the crowd and boarded a boat and there were other boats alongside of them and they set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And we're not privy to this information, but at some point on this adventure, Jesus falls asleep. Now, I don't know how your mind works because I'm from Georgia and you're from Alabama. This is how my mind works. As I'm peering into the plight of these disciples as they're rowing and as they're, they're sailing in the pitch black night, knowing that Jesus is asleep in the boat because He is physically exhausted, I wonder if any of them wondered, well, you know, maybe this is all He has left. Maybe the reason the kingdom gets rejected by so many and has to be hidden and grows so slowly is at the end of the day, you know, this is really the best he can do. He's exhausted. He probably didn't have sleep apnea like I do, but they may have even heard him snore. He was sound asleep in the boat. I wonder if we ever feel that way. I wonder if we ever think that Jesus is, is just really a nice guy who's just exhausted and has fallen asleep as, as far as our life is concerned. Maybe He just doesn't have more to give. Maybe that is why our prayers just don't have decisive or immediate answers. Maybe Jesus is just doing all He can. Well, if the disciples were having a quiet moment to consider all these things, that, that moment, it didn't last very long, did it? Verse number 37 expresses to the reader, there arose a great storm of wind. And the emphasis is, is on the word great. You see, what apparently happens on the Sea of Galilee is similar to what happens in an aircraft. If you've ever flown, you've probably heard of a terrifying phenomenon known as clear air turbulence. That's why you at least keep the seat belts loosely fastened. Because clear air turbulence is, is not detected. But as you fly through, it just begins to, to rock the aircraft. This particular sea was capable of producing something similar to this. Geography tells us that the Sea of Galilee was 13 and a half miles long and 7 and a half miles wide. And it sits approximately 650 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. And as a result, this is what I've read. I don't know this, but this is what other people know. And I'm citing it, okay? When cool air would rush down from the top of Mount Hermon and the surrounding mountains would mix with hot air and would come off the surface of the sea creating what we see in secular history as well as biblical revelation. Furious storms. That's what the Sea of Galilee was known for. 
For Andrew and Peter and James and John, windstorms were just a part of their, the difficulty of their vocational lives. But this windstorm was different. For the text tells us that this windstorm was great. The waves were breaking into the boat so much so that now the boat is filling. Even the most experienced sailors in the boat begin to get concerned. For this is more furious maybe than they've ever seen before. They realized that they were in real danger and so fear for their very lives started to set in. And yet in the stern, Jesus is, is, is still sleeping. He's sleeping through this mighty tempest. We don't know how long Jesus was asleep for. But they begin to pitch water with pails hoping to keep the ship afloat. And yet at some point when the threat of danger or the threat of death became too real, they woke him and hurled accusation at him. Accusations that were born out of fear and frustration. What did they say? Master, carest thou not that we perish? Mark records that they did not just cry out for help. They did not just ask Jesus to do something, but they began to accuse Him of not caring for them. It was as if He would not act in a positive way for the benefit of their welfare. But I want to be clear concerning the fullness of the passage. I'm truly and thoroughly convinced that they had no thought about Jesus calming this storm. They didn't think for a moment that He had the power to do it. But it seems that they at least wanted Him to show some concern. They just are wanting Him to do something because anything is better than just sleeping in the stern. I wonder if some of them may have thought, you know, I just didn't see it ending this way. Drowning at the bottom of the sea with a non-responsive, sleepy Savior that we've been following. This was a fierce storm. Notice, secondly, the fear of the disciples. I wonder if we've ever done what these disciples did. Maybe in a moment of frustration or fear and in the wake of life's circumstances. I wonder if any of us would be honest enough to admit that we've cried out to God and His response seems slow or maybe even non-existent. And because of this, we returned to Him saying, Do you not care? You see, this is where the disciples found themselves. They were frustrated and afraid. And I don't know what they expected would happen, but I am certain that they were not expecting what was taking place next. For verse 39 tells us, He arose. He rebuked the wind and He said to the sea, Peace be still. And He did so without a cup of coffee. The wind ceased, and there now is a great calm. 
For the great windstorm became a calm in a moment. Now catch this. You see, the language used was, was not language that would insinuate that the storm had blown over. That some time had lapsed and the clouds had opportunity to roll away. Kind of like this morning around 5 to 6 a.m. No, this was a miraculous calm. This was a great calm. We could put it this way. This was a supernatural calm. For the great calm was being imposed upon the sea and the air. The crashing waves suddenly became a sea of glass. And those tempest waves suddenly became the still night air. This was an eerie calm. And in the calm, Jesus speaks his own words of rebuke. For the disciples had rebuked him in the great windstorm. They're looking at the Savior and they're saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? But he begins to rebuke them for their lack of faith. For he rebukes their fear of death and he rebukes them for what leads them to accuse Jesus of not caring about their welfare. And yet, humanly speaking, how could they not be afraid? We've got to think about this by all accounts. They were really perishing. And Jesus was, was really asleep. So what more could they have done? Well, well, Jesus seems to suggest that not only should have, but they, they could have believed. This is a reminder to you and I this evening, regardless of what we face. We can still believe. There is no circumstance that you and I will face as dark and as dreary as it may become that should keep us from believing in Him. For had they had faith, faith they were lacking would have removed their fear. In the midst of the storm. But this brings us to the climax of the passage. As I think when many folks reference this story. Not to be the resident expert. But I think they miss this. Because oftentimes this story is told and it's taught and it's sung about and it's used as a tale of great comfort. It's a story of reassurance. Jesus stills the storms of life and now we can have faith and not fear. You see, people often teach this story as if the movement of the story is the great storm to a great calm which brings great joy... And comfort and assurance on the part of the disciples. That makes for really good preaching. But we must read the text. Notice verse 41. Now, this is after the storm had ceased to exist. Yeah. And they feared. 
exceedingly. And said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Whatever power they thought Jesus had based upon the previous miracles, they never for a moment thought he could do this. Regardless of the doubts they might have sprung up as a result of the opposition and rejection and accusation, whatever questions they had as a result of Jesus' parabolic teaching, it's all been blown sky high. And now they sit in silence as great fear has encapsulated them. Who is this? We don't need to miss this, for this is what the disciples are saying here. We were afraid of the greatness of the storm. (laughs) And I really, truly thought we were going to die. But now we sit here in this great calm, and I'm much more frightened by the presence of the man who sits next to us. This man who, by the way, was tired and asleep just a few moments ago. Who woke up. Without a cup of coffee. And rebuke the wind and the waves with a word. They were still. They're looking at one another. They're saying, who is this man? You see, this is the power of God. This is the power of Of creation, this is the power, His power over creation. And since He has power over the creation, we must be reminded that He has power over us. And so the source of their greatest fear was not the storm, but the presence of the calm. You know, it did not comfort them. Their greatest fear the source of their great fear was the very presence of Jesus sitting in the boat with them. And yet if they had had just a cursory knowledge of the Old Testament, and I believe they did, but oftentimes we seem to forget everything we've learned when we're fearful and frustrated. They would have known that this was none other than the power of God. Specifically in this phrase, rebuking the sea, and and, and not to wear on your patience, but Psalm 18.15, Psalm 104.6 and 7, Psalm 106.9, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. All throughout the Old Testament, he's rebuking the sea and it's obeying. For this obeying is the exclusive domain of the divine. We also consider this language of bringing calm to to a tempest. For this too is the exclusive domain of the divine. Psalm 65, 6 and 7, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains. Being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the sea, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. Psalm 89 9. Thou rulest the raging of the sea, when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. 
This was a fierce storm. And now these disciples are so incredibly fearful. They seemingly have forgotten just who he is. But notice the future of this Savior. You see, on some level, the disciples knew that only God could do what Jesus just did. You see, they were utterly blown away that this Jesus was, was God in the flesh. And as they sit in this eerie, calm sea, they were in a state of great fear in the presence of Jesus. But if they were blown away, no pun intended, by this jarring contradiction of Jesus being asleep in the boat, but later giving a word that would steal the wind and the waves. If they were blown away by this great weakness and this great power, later they would be even more blown away. For they'd be blown away as they would see Jesus beaten, mocked, tortured, crucified, buried, and then raised from the dead in glorious divine power. Defeating sin, death, and the pains of hell forever. You see, at this point, I want us to hear the question that they're asking. They're saying, who is this man? But later as we read the Gospels, we, we recognize that they will be crying out, My Lord and my God. The one who died for my sins in abject humiliation, but who rose from the grave in eternal incorruptible power. This awesome power and goodness, able to still the winds with a word, the power over sin and death and hell. This powerful one, we must know, is calling even for you tonight. Do you know who's in the boat with you? Do you know who this Jesus is? Hear me tonight. He's far more than this sentimental friend who you can find on the comforting pages of your devotional. Amen. He's far more than a well-meaning moral teacher who has practical wisdom to guide you through this life. He is far more than a profound example of self-sacrifice who calls us to care for the poor and needy. No, He is much more than that. For He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's great in His power and glory. He spoke the creation into being. And He sustains the entire universe by the word of His power. And even this very night before His throne, the angels bow in adoration and they worship. And the day is coming when before His awesome presence, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess. What are they confessing? What are we confessing? That Jesus Christ is Lord. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey Him. 
Who is this man who has risen from the dead, who has ascended into the heavens and is coming back again? It is Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we must believe upon Him and trust ourselves to His great power and His tender care. You see, we need to believe upon Him for our eternal salvation. But we also need to trust Him with our everyday life. You see, in faith, we got to know this. Every trial we face, every threatening situation that is before us, every moment when we are genuinely afraid of something, Jesus Christ is still Lord. He's great in power and glory. We sing about it tonight. He's far greater than any trial that stands before us. And whatever threat, whatever foe, even death itself cringes before His mighty power. And you can turn to Him. And also trust Him. And you can entrust yourself to Him. For you can cry out to Him, Save me. Deliver me, rescue me, protect me, comfort me, provide for me, and know that He can do it. He can do it decisively. He can do it immediately. He can do it with a word. But there will be times when His rescue and protection and healing and deliverance seems slow. And gradual. It seems imperceptible. Doesn't it? Sometimes even non-existent. But know this. This story reminds us that it's not because he lacks in power. And it's never because he lacks in care. You see, Jesus was not asleep in the boat because... He did not have power over the winds and the waves. He was not asleep in the boat because he lacked in care for the disciples. But it's always because somehow in his good providence, he's accomplishing something that's far greater than you and I can really comprehend. You see, we may not see it. We may not apprehend it in the moment. But don't think for a second he's not at work. So we entrust ourselves to his power. Entrust ourselves to his care. Know this, that Jesus himself knows what it is to do that. For he did it himself with his heavenly father in the garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 39. Can I read it? And he went a little further. And he fell on his face. And he prayed saying, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What about at his arrest? 
he rebuked the disciples. Matthew 26, 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. You see, Jesus Christ Himself, He knows what it is to wait on the Father. Entrust Himself to His Father. And now He calls on us to wait on Him. Entrust ourselves to Him. Come what may. Trust Him because He has mighty power and tender care. We can entrust ourselves to Him in every situation, in every trial, even in the face of death, knowing that He is the God that even the winds and the waves obey. And so when we step back and look at this story in full, the Lord calmed the surrounding storm He created so that He could create an even greater storm within them. Why? So that He might awaken them to who He is. Again, who is He, church? Jesus Christ is Lord. And He can be trusted. He can be trusted. Let's pray. Oh Lord, in times of doubt, when fear and frustration grips our hearts, as we look at the present state of our life and we wonder, where it will lead. What will happen next? Will I ever make it through? No doubt all of us are, are guilty. Maybe me more so than anyone in this room. Biting my fingernails into the quick, wringing my hands and worrying and wondering. Oh, Lord. I can't trace your hand. Lord, I'm thankful in those moments we can trust your heart. We can't trust our hearts. They're deceitful above all. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, those of us who are so guilty of relying so heavily on the, the arm of the flesh and the making of decisions. Lord, may we mortify our flesh in this moment. May we draw closer to You. And may our allegiances, our allegiance, may, be, may, may it be greater. In a deeper, more impactful way. May our response even to these daring circumstances and difficult trials. 
May our response be, Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, we give you the praise. And we thank you for meeting our needs. Lord, even if our needs, physically speaking, aren't met, Even if those emotional needs we seem to have, if, if they sift through our hands like, like the sand of, of the shore. Hearts broken. May our eyes be fixed on you. For Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me of the words of Elizabeth Prentice's song. More love to Thee, O Lord. More love to Thee. May that be our heart's cry. May that be our heart's plea. More love. O Lord, more love to Thee. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is there any of us here tonight, I wonder, that haven't in some way felt like we've lived that story? You know, it seems like you're being shipwrecked and it's chaos all around you. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. At very best, it seems like he's asleep. He's not answering when you pray, not as quick as you want him to. And you wonder, what, what can I do? Zach has reminded us tonight that you can trust him. You can always trust Him. The times when you understand Him, they might be few and far between. But you can always trust Him. Sometimes you may not even like Him, but you can always trust Him. He's reminded us of that tonight. So while we're standing together and while we sing this hymn of invitation, it'd be good for some of you to come and do what this song invites you to do and surrender your storm to Him. Say, Lord, I trust you.